0: That has now moved to where people are starting to put together the jigsaw puzzle of how this stuff can change my whole customer service experience, transform my supply chain, change the way I run my plant network, whatever it may be, at scale. And that suddenly means that there's a you know there's a more, it's not just maturity of the technology, it's maturity of the ideas and the scale at which they can be applied.
1: Today on Tech Talks, we're talking to Mark Foster from IBM, and we're discussing how he sees organizations changing as technology becomes scalable. This is Tech Talks, it's your twice weekly tech podcast featuring interviews with leaders from across the industry and a little bit of tech news. So if you're interested in tech, this is the podcast for you. Joining us on Tech Talks, we've got a debutant, debutante, debutant. debutant not entirely sure the correct pronunciation for that. Anyway, welcome Haley. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and we've obviously got Ali. Hello guys. I don't want to say obviously, that makes it sound like I'm taking you horribly for granted.
2: You, you do. That's not true. Hello guys. How
1: was your weekend?
2: Full was it of good love. One,
3: yeah. What?
2: Yeah? What's that? Oh yes, it was Valentine's Day. <laughs> what did you do Haley? I just went out for lunch, got spoilt as uh-huh. per usual.
3: What about you? Um, I went to see my family. In Ireland. In Ireland, yeah.
1: Did Sean go with you?
3: He did! First time! First time to meet the crew. Uh, how did that go? Really well, all got drunk together.
1: Wasn't like Meet the Fockers, it, it didn't end badly. I not know
3: how to say that on the radio.
1: Like what? Yes! Okay, cool. Also, this isn't really the radio, is it? <laughs> and i didn't actually swear i just said the title every, of a film every
3: single every single time we record one of these things i ask you at least once are we allowed to say that no?
1: <laughs> i wouldn't worry about it okay, okay. although the ceo apparently is listening so you oh, know <laughs> shout
3: out to Bib. um what did you do for valentine's day
1: i uh, went for curry on friday night and went home by half seven
2: classic love that
1: but it was very nice nonetheless <laughs> that makes it sound horribly ungrateful they gave Haley a rose
2: not you, not Hayley. me
1: no, not you, sorry, <laughs> no. the curry house did not give you, this is gonna be confusing, my wife Hayley, as opposed to new co-host Hayley. Um, yeah, anyway, I had, a, I had a curry, it was very nice. How
3: did you give your wife a rose?
1: I gave her some tulips. Oh, that I liked tulips.
2: Oh, I, like that. I like those as well. Yeah,
1: also like, was it you that we were talking about? I think it was you that was talking about the fact that there were people selling roses for 70 quid outside the office on Friday.
3: No, and it's you robbery. also know that anyone else on this podcast listening can't see who you're pointing at.
1: You, Ali. <laughs> yeah. Someone was telling me that they were selling roses for £70 outside the office in the city on Friday. If your boyfriend spent 70 quid on a bunch of roses, would you not be like, well, that's a colossal waste Take of money? Take
2: me to the theatre. Do something oh. like, wow, but I'd be thinking, oh, expensive, that's all good. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're well, glad you could do so many nicer things. With so many bags.
2: <laughs> I got you a card. Wasn't yeah, I know. An
1: anyway, right. Uh, there's no real link from that into the
2: interview. I was wondering interview. how you're going
1: to do it. No, there's not really. I was waiting. Um, uh, roses, £70 for, for roses is a lot of money. What mm. else is a lot of money? $47 billion. Oh.
3: There you go. <laughs>
1: there's a link. Uh, we're talking to Mark Foster, he's the SVP of IBM Services and Global Business Services. Um, The interview is all about culture and skills, but uh, stay tuned. After the interview, the three of us will share some comment, and then there'll be a bit of news later on the show. So we are now talking to Mark from IBM. Uh, Do you mind very quickly, Mark, explaining what your title is at IBM to make sure I don't mess it up?
0: Yes. Well, I am actually the Senior Vice President of IBM Services, which means that I'm responsible for the 60% of IBM that's involved with changing and transforming the businesses for our clients around the world. It's about 250,000 people, uh, about 47 billion of the revenues of IBM and sits alongside the software and hardware, which is what makes up the rest of the company. And you are over here at Web Summit to speak. Yes, I was here um, speaking uh, on one of the fireside chats that took place here, um, talking about really uh, this vision we have of what we think businesses are going to look like when they start to apply all of the neat technology we're seeing here at scale to really transform what they do. I think that will be a good place
1: to come back to in a moment. But IBM, look, a lot of people have a preconception of IBM. They probably think of IBM and think of computers initially. But it's worth kind of just reflecting on very quickly what IBM Services actually does and what IBM's kind of goals are in the market today. Yes, I
0: mean, IBM Services really works at both ends of the business and technology spectrum. So a lot of the people that are in IBM services are involved with doing you know, digital strategy consulting or there we have the world's you know the world's largest digital agencies sits inside IBM services. We do BPO for people, we do analytics and data analytics, we do all the systems integration, we run applications for people, we run people's data centers, we run people's networks, we you know we're behind most of the big banks in the world, most of the big airlines in the world in terms of keeping them up And running every day, so that's what IBM Services uh, does. And how long have you been in this role? If you don't mind, I've been in this role for uh, about three and a half years. Yeah, you must have seen some changes in the market then, especially when you're talking
1: about, you know, that fireside chat and you've got organisations and what are they actually going to do in the world? If I think back to last year's Web Summit to this year's Web Summit, there's a, there's a marked difference in the alpha and the beta zone in terms of some of the propositions that, that those companies are taking to the market. All of a sudden there's an explosion in mental health and well-being and fitness-based mm-hmm. technology. So I suppose you've, you've seen actually some dramatic change even in that short period of time. Yes, it's
0: actually interesting. We, we just actually had, um, about 10 days ago, we had our second Big Bets C-Suite Summit, which we organised for the CEOs from, from across IBM world. They came to New York. Mm-hmm. And even in the two-year period since the last time we'd spoken to them, the sort of the transformational effect and impact of technology had moved from being what I would call on the 20% of the organisation their experimentation, sort of outside in digital transformation, responding to customer needs, but hadn't really broken through into the core of what companies were about. We're now seeing that people are genuinely engaging on large-scale transformation, and that's back on the table again, which means it's much more risky, it's more open-heart surgery for companies, um, but they are now finding these technologies have reached a maturity where they can do something more with them. Do you think that's the, the key there,
1: that the, the technology is maturing, it's becoming more cost-effective, I suppose, it's it's
0: there's services that are more highly available and, and less prone to falling over? I think that some of it's about the maturity. A lot of it, though, is I think about the extent to which leaders and companies have now really got their head around how they can take advantage of the technology to really change what they're doing. I mean, lots of people would have heard buzzwords like IoT, blockchain, AI, etc., 5G, and and not for a while have looked at them almost as um, discrete um, ideas, maybe sort of shiny objects to think about how they could invent and do a small proof of concept on some part of their business with. That has now moved to where people are starting to put together the jigsaw puzzle of how this stuff can change my whole customer service experience, transform my supply chain, change the way I run my plant network, whatever it may be, at scale. And that suddenly means that there's a, you know, there's a more... It's not just maturity of the technology, it's maturity of the ideas and the scale at which they can be applied. Whilst they might be getting their head around the scale
1: and the idea are enough businesses though still having a look at their their structure and their operations as they stand today and going all right before we implement this technology is our our organisation actually ready i mean you talked a minute ago about yeah. that digital transformation piece
0: yes no i think i think You're asking a great question because readiness, of course, involves a number of things. One thing is, is it strategically ready to actually make enough of a shift, but also are the organization, the people in the organization ready for the shift? And both those things have been challenges. Hmm. And I would say that we are seeing now more organizations where the CEO and the leaders are placing a bet. They're beginning to place a big bet on creating a new market-making business platform that will redefine their strategic advantage enabled by these technologies so that that making of a bet is moving up the the reality scale as it were and we heard many examples in the conference we held the other week I think what they're bumping up against then is the second point which is the the readiness of the Mm organisation to go on that journey which increasingly is becoming a people talked in the past about is the culture ready for a digital or cognitive transformation. We actually think culture is a bit of an intangible in this world. What we really find is it's actually our skills ready for this journey. So a lot of the, the, the conversation we're having right now is, how do I make my business skills ready for what it needs to do in a world where pretty much every job is being transformed in some way by the by the changes we're seeing? So look, just candidly, what, what are those skills? <clears throat> you, you kind of...
1: You go along to a lot of conferences now and you hear leaders of technology organisations saying, we need data scientists, but they must have PhDs. And that's coming from people who lead the organisation and maybe don't have a PhD themselves. There seems to be some... I wouldn't say confusion, but some conversation at least about not just the skills that the individual has, but the
0: education and the background and the way that they think. Yes. Well, interesting. I mean, there always has been this point of view now for a while that suddenly it's data scientists are what we're looking for. Mm. And let's be clear, you know, data scientists are a valuable resource and, are, and they're in short supply. And in a world of you know, pervasive data and analytics, of course, it's a valuable skill set. What we're finding in some of the recent research we've done has actually shown that alongside these sort of STEM skills and the data scientist skills, actually the skill that's most in short supply are some of the softer skills around how to manage in an agile organisation, how to think and, and change in a quick way, how to have actually a propensity to learn uh, rather than simply a, a hard skill. Uh, and that's really transforming the way we're thinking about how we try and help our clients with the change they have to go through. Because Trying to trying to change your organization you know in terms of its skills is a big is a big deal mm-hmm. but you actually also need to have a, a point of view about your baseline skill set in terms of whether the people have got a propensity to learn are, are open to transforming themselves and Some of the research we've done on our own people has found that in fact that bears no correlation to whether someone's a millennial or they're older in the organization it's actually about the person's sort of DNA around whether they actually are ready to be open to new, new ideas and new ways of learning. Sure, but culture
1: can help bring that out of people yes. and education can help hone those skills. I mean, if you think about continuous yep. learning, getting yep. yourself to a position where you're continually in the right mindset yep. to pick up new skills. Um, equally, you might look at senior management within an organisation who might find it really challenging to go back into a classroom environment and suddenly be Uh, kind of at a peer level with someone that typically within a hierarchical organization might be very much below them is that something that people are beginning to get their head around
0: they are but i think by the way people are learning the way leaders are learning is they're learning more by by doing and experiencing so no we we have created these things called the ibm garages which are in many cases inside our clients offices inside their buildings There are a bunch of the client's leadership working alongside our people, working alongside people from the ecosystem, from startups, whatever it may be, people from R&D, from from IBM there, for example, sometimes. And they're together, they are creating new ideas about how they can apply these technologies to change something really important in the business. And as they learn this together, the actual process by which they become more attuned to working in a a technology-enabled environment Changes And we've got many clients that have said that by engaging in this kind of garage activity, that's the most important cultural transformation that's taking place, mm. is the people that roll through these environments go back out into their, their normal work environment and they create versions of this. And it spreads through the organization in terms of a, a cultural transformation. So I think we have to get used to the fact that executives are going to learn in a different way. At the same time, I think we have to recognize that leaders are going to have to be much more than simply tech-savvy they're going to actually have to have enough understanding of the content and potential of these technologies to truly understand which ones to focus on and which ones can make a difference to their business it's no good simply reading a book about blockchain Mm. to suddenly think you are now able to understand what blockchain can do to your supply chain you've got to understand really what the power of the tools are to, to to create permissioned contracts and think okay a permissioned contract in my logistics process or my insurance payment process would be really valuable. If I could only do that, then I can paint a picture for my my business that's compelling. These are the kinds of things we're finding out now about how leaders need to step up to a different game than before. So if we go back to the
1: fireside chat for a second and we think about the the main focus, I suppose, of Web Summit is around those alphas and those betas and their, their, their organizations in, in that growth phase. And I suppose that the companies that are delivering the kind of technology that make an impact that you're talking about often do tend to be organizations who may be rapidly growing. Your point on leadership there, do a lot of those founders who are very tech savvy necessarily
0: understand that they may not be the best CEO for their own business? I think that's a very interesting question. I mean, I've been clearly, again, back to my overall thesis that, in fact, it doesn't sort of necessarily matter where you come from, what size of organization you're in, whether you have the ability to be a leader of this kind. Hmm. Uh, At the same time, I do think that many startup organizations do struggle with the scale issue and the issue about when you get beyond 50 people you all know around a room. There is a change in the dynamic when you have to start putting in processes and hierarchy and not relying entirely on everything you know yourself as a leader. That does create a tipping point for most organizations. They start to scale themselves. Uh, And at the end of the day, likewise, large organizations have to find ways to break themselves up into smaller, more agile groups to understand, to move at the speed that's necessary. Uh, And a lot of our work now is actually helping clients deal with that balance between speed and agility and flexibility but with bulletproof certainty. Because once you're working on the mission critical, you can't have something that's just works 80% of the time or you know, falls over every now and then, it doesn't really matter. It, yeah. it does matter if it's actually at the heart of a payment system for your bank or, or a retail merchandising system. These things matter. So I think what we're learning is how do organisations deal with this desire to be agile, uh, to think about things in f- faster releases of value, while at the same time making sure the thing runs bulletproof every time, mission critical, and that's a big test.
1: Last quick point, then: We're, we are at Web Summit, and whilst
0: you yourself lead a very large organisation, what's something that's that's interested you that maybe is a fresh perspective? Oh, and it's interesting. I think some of the robotic stuff that's out there has been interesting to me. I've been interested to see how 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 fast the robotic area is developing itself, and I think that's going to be really interesting in terms of how we think about you know leveraging automation and robotics more i mean so far we have lots of you know small robot ideas in place in many of our organizations i think the larger robotic ideas moving out of the manufacturing world into the world of um of white collar is going to be a very very interesting um space and seeing some of the stuff on the floor here has been pretty exciting fantastic look i really appreciate you giving up some time i know you're on a tight schedule so
1: thanks for talking to us and i hope you enjoy the rest of the conference thank you very much cheers So I did find it quite interesting that he talks about the fact that there are large-scale transformations going on and it's like open-heart surgery on an organization because that's actually kind of not quite in sync with an episode that we had just a few weeks ago with Gurav Dillon from SnapLogic who's talking about safe innovation. Oh,
3: yes. Because he was
1: talking about the fact that these technologies are now getting to the point where it's like, okay, we feel that we can take these reasonably mature innovations like cloud... And not break on. an organisation, mm. but Mark's mm. talking about open heart surgery, which is wildly more risky than, than safe innovation, yeah. right? But
3: isn't it IBM work with really big companies, right? Mm. Like really massive companies. When you go into those organisations, I think it probably is like open heart surgery.
1: But isn't there more inertia in a really large organisation that means that they're less likely to take that risk? Or it's harder? Yes.
3: Yeah. Well, that's what he's saying.
1: Yeah, exactly. But you're, <laughs> to your point that it's not going to be like open heart surgery... Or at least it might be on one small section of it. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you could maybe, like, work with one particular part of a bank, but you can't overnight change the entirety of the HSBC, for example. No,
3: no. But, it's, oh, yeah, that will be small steps at a time, bringing in new technology, trying to kind of change stuff like that be small steps at a time you're not going to go into a whole mm. organisation and be like ah right here we go that's difficult that's open heart surgery I just thought it was interesting that we've got these,
1: these two speakers from Web Summit this is the last interview that we've got from Web Summit
3: completely different views
1: uh, well not completely different but it's definitely semantically it's kind of different mm. it's a different perspective on it open mm. heart surgery versus, versus safe innovation
3: mm. feels very
1: different um, yeah uh, I,
3: I think they both came across with the same kind of and um, golden nugget where these organizations are really they're they're now ready to change they're now ready to adapt the new technology and move Hmm. with the times because of all the the competitiveness that's going on that uh, I see you guys did it and you did it successfully now I can do it as well Um, I think they both brought that up which is cool
1: what about this point that um have your people got the ability to learn that there was no correlation to the generational stereotypes, but it's either in the person's DNA or it isn't? Like, hey, I mean, do you think it's in someone's DNA to be open-minded? Or surely that's their, you, you know, you have to be a product to a certain degree of the environment, right?
2: Yeah, I think that lots of people don't actually like change, so Fair. they don't, it's, and I feel like that is in people's DNA. But then I do feel like there's people out there that are really keen to learn and they kind of embrace that as well.
1: But at the same time, I don't know, I, I, you're right. And obviously some people are predisposed to it more than others. But it was the one comment in the entire interview where I was like, is it kind of like suggesting there are some people that are almost, I don't want to say dead wood, but they're not going to go on that journey with you. Uh, yeah, and if skills okay. are so important <laughs> and... Mm. Um, that, that every job is being transformed at the minute which makes skills even more important that's that's a challenge if you kind of have the view that it's either, either some people have got, have got it or, and some people yeah. haven't
2: I think that's what part of the transformation is by what by that I think they're weeding out the deadwood maybe exactly
3: exactly. <laughs> and I think playing on what Hayley said earlier some people are just and I think you brought up in the interview as well when you asked him so you're sitting in a room some of these people are you you're now trying to teach them some of these guys are Higher management. Some of them are. not, I don't want to say lower management. Mm. Is that a thing? Lower level. Yeah. Well, I suppose yeah. Mid management is certainly one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you have both these people, and now they're kind of acting on this flat line where they're all learning as peers. Mm. Um, and I don't know. Sometimes I mean, we all organised have it, where you have those people that are a little bit. <laughs> you know, that works mean? on. Explain, that works on audio. Explain what you know yeah. did. Yeah. You know what? I mean? and, uh, but, uh, I know no, suck up they they take their their power power play. for reason. the audio descriptive
1: uh, uh, notion uh, Ali Ali st- kind of stuck her nose slightly up with her forefinger
3: yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, yeah, but do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. a
2: lot of people think they're right, don't they? And they feel like they don't need to be told how to transform um, the business. But actually, I think it's a learning curve that there's always some sort of change that can be happening mm. to the mm. best of the business. Mm.
1: We often do think of leaders leading change. You know, you talk about um, the boardroom and the executive have to uh, live vision and values. And then if they live vision and values, that seeps its way through an organisation and that's how you get cultural change but Mark presents a slightly different model Um, it's kind of it's bad because the way the way he said it was very very positive but at the minute with the with the what's going on in the news i couldn't help think of kind of some kind of virus spreading through an organization in a positive way but ibm garages a company creates yeah. smaller versions of it and that spreads almost like a wildfire mm. like one person takes those ideas takes it somewhere else takes it somewhere else and multiplies through an organization that's very much kind of organic and grassroots as opposed to people in a boardroom going these are our visions and values
2: exactly i actually really liked it when you spoke about that garage activity was that what he called it? Is that it? Mm. Guy- <laughs> Garage so. activity. He did, he did. Um, I think that really promotes change. You're using the people mm, within the business. I exactly. think that is such a good way of like keeping the culture together and yeah. um, promoting it that way. It's better than your leaders saying, do this, do that. Do that, yeah.
3: And I think also when he brought up, uh, what was it, when he started talking about skills and that people can no longer just have a broad kind of understanding of technology, mm. you need your leaders now to really get it. Yeah. They need to be skilled mm. in it. And, and that's the only way you're going to trust these people so now you're looking at leaders for not only inspiration running over heart and mind but you also got to have the technical skills well, like, like you said it. it's, it's
1: the uh, putting together the jigsaw puzzles they have to be able to get their head around the tech mm-hmm. um,
2: so they've got to get stuck in now yeah no longer dictating getting involved
1: I mean look this, this, and that's
2: harder for your kind of older deadwood people not
3: older older oh Ooh. take it back feel oh. it in sorry cut it out
1: younger deadwood people <laughs>
3: Yeah, but if you're your, <laughs> a mix. Your, yes, the, the people that are not happy to change. And you get a lot of people like that yeah. in an organisation. Let's be
1: honest as you get older you probably get less op- you do get less open to change because you get yeah. set in your ways or you get institutionalised and that you know you could have someone who's coming into an organisation aged 45 who's new to an organisation sees it with a fresh pair of eyes versus someone who's 40 years old but works at an organisation for 15 years exactly. and is intu- in- institutionalised by it
3: mm, ex- exactly I mean I mean, look at yeah I'm not going to say any bad things but I mean just definitely agree with you on that point <laughs>
1: Well, look, Mark. Thank you for being our guest. Uh, obviously, he's got a fairly large job looking after a quarter of a million people. Mm-hmm. So it was nice yes. of him to drop in and talk to us uh, in a very noisy, air-conditioned room. There uh, was there was a, there was a it, no, not oh, here. The interview. The interview.
2: Yeah. I That's, didn't really
1: hear that. Oh, there's a, the background <laughs> is <laughs> is the loudest air conditioning I've ever known to man. Uh, and Lisbon was <laughs> No, but it was it's in much. November. Oh,
3: was that cold then? Yeah, it
1: was. Yeah, it's like 15, 10, 10, 15 mm, degrees. So. That's no excuse. Anyway, Mark, thanks for being our guest. Stay tuned after us, we'll have a bit of technology news once a month tech talks opens the tuck shop a youtube tech news roundup which is kindly carried by disruptive live disruptive live is the uk's first and only 24 7 tv channel for the technology industry stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the disruptive live website and social media channels you can also catch disruptive live at some of the largest global technology events broadcasting from london manchester singapore dubai and many more welcome back to tech talks uh one bit of technology news google winds down free station wi-fi program why are you doing air quotations
3: Wines. they just want to take it away that's what they want to do
1: well look I, i'm kind of sad about it so this is this is an article in the verge the service is currently deployed in india south africa I saw. yes mexico and beyond Um, And basically, they've been offering free Wi-Fi across, well, in India in particular, 400 railway stations. Um, But they've decided that it's not a good business model. They were trying to make money through ad revenue, but Mm. it was predominantly aimed at getting people online, as far as I can tell. Mm. Yes, they're making a bit of a play to say, come online through Google, but... At the same time, in a world where increasingly services are accessed online and that is where the economy happens, mm. access to the internet is a really valuable thing. So I think the fact that they were providing free Wi-Fi, they've got to make some money somewhere, was a good thing. So it's a bit of a shame that this would seem to have failed. Okay. Do you want think... agree with me?
3: No, no, no. <laughs> I do think it is a shame, definitely I do think it's a shame that it failed. But if you think about the countries, right, I, and I can't speak for India or Mexico, but I def, definitely can speak for South Africa. These countries and the, the train stations and stuff like that, the people that are going there and using the Wi-Fi, a lot of the times are like university kids, people doing their work, whatever, whatever. They're going, And it's a really, it's, it's a poor country. But it's still like
1: one well, if it's a poor country, we then it's a really
3: valuable resource. No, you must remember, we don't advertise like we advertise here and in America. South Africa, most of the advertising is path to purchase and out of home. You know, no one cares about advertising online. And if they're, if they're using this free. Listen, you're offering free Wi Fi. Yeah,
1: but if it's free Wi Fi and you've just got a little pop up box on a website, mm. you'd live with that for the access to the internet if you can then get stuff done. Yes,
3: but what are you going to. But this is what I'm saying people are not going to pay Google to advertise on those platforms because that's not where you're hitting your target market. When, when you add business, well, I suppose you add that's probably why the
1: business model has, has failed. Maybe they're not making as much money from it as, as they mm-hmm. can. And they also mm-hmm. talk about the fact that um, the data is getting cheaper in these countries. But, but cheaper is still a cost. People are still having to buy data mm-hmm. as opposed to free Wi-Fi. Yeah.
2: Oh, well, was very sad. I feel like it would make money here, but our Wi-Fi on our trains doesn't even work. Uh, exactly. So why can't we have this? And then, I mean, they get nothing. No, I'll take it back.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's, I mean, it's least, fair. got go be a marketer at Google.
2: No, seriously, that could
3: actually
1: work. I mean, we're very lucky in this country that if you walk into most shops... You get
3: free
1: Wi-Fi. You get free, well... We say it's sort free of. Wi-Fi, you're giving away data, you're giving away privacy,
2: mm-hmm. because
1: you have to accept cookies or you, you know... your we,
2: email, yeah.
1: Exactly, and as we were saying on the show a few weeks ago, what mm-hmm. is it, 18 companies a day generally pick up your data?
3: Yep. On average? Wow. And there's nothing to kind of stop them to carry on using that data once you've stopped and left their shop. So they can just spam you with emails.
1: (laughs) You look furious.
3: I'm pretty upset about it.
1: But um, yeah, so the Wi-Fi program's failed. Um, Google says that it is working with its partners so it can make a transition uh, to existing sites They can remain useful resources in the community. In South Africa, a spokesman confirmed to Business Insider that it would be transferring operations to Think Wi-Fi. So there is some An alternative there place, yeah. there are other providers who are looking at this I just thought it was relevant I thought it was interesting um, given that you know we talk about technology and how wonderful it is but if people can't access it in the developing world well they're going to be even poorer
2: yeah left behind 8 million users though and it's failed mm-hmm. it's
1: quite a... well, showing that the users yeah. themselves are not the as we said, it's the Yeah, exactly. target
2: yeah, audience.
1: Yeah. Good.
3: Well, they oh, should well,
2: have hired me. on you.
1: <laughs> right. Well, with that, thank you for, for coming and joining the show, Hayley.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure. You'll come back. I will. I yeah. will. I really enjoyed it.
1: There you go. Ali, I'll probably see you on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> you used to be so enthusiastic about this.
3: I am still very, I love it,